Next Sunday, the plan is to pick back up in James. We've taken about a month off from looking through the book of James. Because today, we're going to finish up looking through distractions. And over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at, we can be distracted by bad things. And two weeks ago, we looked at, we can be distracted by the good things in our life, or by things that aren't sins and such. And then last week, we looked at a massive distraction, that sh- a story that even the disciples got distracted. They were the ones who were with Jesus. They should have known better, yet even they got distracted. So I figured that today, to wrap us up on this little journey that we've been on, we should look at somebody who didn't get distracted, who very easily could have been distracted, but didn't. And the example that he sets for us to combat getting distracted in our lives. Flip with me, if you would, flip with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at the temptation of Jesus here this morning and how he easily could have been distracted by a couple of different things and his response to each of them And how that shows us how we can combat distraction in our life. Read with me if you would. It's up there on the screen. And I read out of uh, the New American Standard Version. And it's up there on the screen. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It reads, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. We're going to jump around just a little bit throughout this passage. Because first, number one on your note sheets, if you grabbed a bulletin, you've got a note sheet there. Number one on your note sheets, the distractions. Let's take a look at the three things Satan tries to use to distract Jesus from what his purpose is. We pick up the story and it says the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. He knows, now Spirit doesn't do the testing, I want to make that very clear, but he knows he's going to be tempted. And then not only that, Jesus has to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Show of hands, how many of you have ever fasted for 40 days and 40 nights straight? Anybody can put their hand up? All right, how about 30 days straight? 20? 10? 5? Anybody done the 40-hour famine? There you go, okay, got a couple hands there. As your pastor, I'd like to say the longest I have ever fasted is roughly an hour. No, that's not true. I have done fasts throughout my life, but they've really only been about 24 hours. (laughs) 
And after that 24 hours, right, just 24, one day, you're hungry, you're exhausted, you're irritable, you're on edge, you just want food. Multiply that by 40 times. Jesus is weak, he's exhausted. Remember, yes, he's 100% God, but he's 100% human, and that human body probably really wanted a good slice of pizza. That's what I want. Somebody asked me one day, it was on Facebook, they were like, they were like there was a thing, and it was like, yes, I eat a well-rounded diet, and it was pizza and donuts and this and that. And, and somebody said, well, which one would you start with? And I said, pizza. I could eat pizza, that's right, it was Winfield, pizza every day of my life and never be sick of it. I adore pizza. So here's Jesus out in the desert. He's weak, he's hungry, he's exhausted. And that's when Satan shows up. And what is the first thing, this is not rhetorical, what is the first thing he attempts to use to distract Jesus with? Food. Mark this, Satan does not try to distract you with things he knows won't work. He's not going to distract you with things he knows won't work. Why bother? Satan doesn't attack the thick parts of the walls in the city. He goes after the drainage pipe to blow up the wall. It's not, some, you're not going to be attacked where you're most prepared. It's the parts you overlooked. That's where Satan attacks. And the first thing he used to try to distract Jesus is food. My favorite verse in scripture we read here. Man shall not live by bread alone. Can I get an amen? Amen. That is why I cook my ribeye on a nice hot uh, uh, grill. Just a couple of minutes on one side, flip that baby over a couple of minutes. It should be cool and red in the center. Mm. We can stop the verse there. That would be the greatest verse in scripture if God had stopped there, but he didn't, of course, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But mark that. He distracts him with food. Mark this in your own lives. You will be easily distracted, not just by the things you want or desire. You will be easily distracted by food. Think about it. When you wake up on Thanksgiving morning, should you still live at home, and your mom has been up since four in the morning, and you smell the turkey, and your belly starts to rumble. Or maybe you love bacon, and you have the smell of bacon throughout the house. You could probably smell it now. You're probably going, when is this pastor going to shut up? I'm hungry. He's distracting me with food. He's the devil. No. You won't just be distracted. Take this as a prime example. You will be distracted by food. You will be distracted by hunger. You will be distracted by hunger. The second thing he distracts him with are misused promises. The verse that he uses in verse 6 is not the entirety of that verse. You find that verse in Isaiah, and I neglected to actually write down where off the top of my thing. But I looked it up. It's only half of the verse. Mark this. Satan knows this book better than you do. He always will. He always has. He can use scripture too. But he never uses it in its context. That's one of the reasons your pastor is so adamant about context. Understand it. It can't be used against you if you understand it. Jesus also knew the scriptures. He was teaching out of the book of Isaiah where this verse is taken from. When he was 12 years old, look it up, his mom got really ticked about it. He knows these verses. 
one of the distractions Satan will try to do is either misuse or twist the promises of God in your life. And the promises of God found in Scripture. He'll do that a few different ways. By just taking it completely out of context. By leaving out certain parts of it. He would come up to me and go, man should not live by bread alone as I'm buttering another slice of bread going, screw what my blood sugar is going to be tonight. For those of you that don't know, I'm diabetic. I should not butter bread and eat it. That's not good for me. I do it anyway, but whatever. He will misuse, change, twist the promises of God over your life in order to distract you from what you are supposed to be doing. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but that's why it's so imperative you know this book too. Because while it's being used against you sometimes by Satan, we're going to talk about it. It is your only defense as well. The third thing in verses 8 and 9 that Satan tries to distract Jesus with is power, authority, and desires. Not a rhetorical question as well. In verse 9, we read, He said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Did Satan have the authority to give Jesus all of the kingdoms of the earth? Yes, he did. Scripture is plainly clear. Satan is the ruler of the earth. God is in control. Do not misunderstand me. God is in control. But Satan is the ruler of the earth. And he could have given Jesus authority over all those nations. It would have been a full authority. It wouldn't have been a lasting authority. But he could have given it to him. Over the entire Roman Empire, he could have given it to him. It was a real thing. It's important to understand that because this distraction wouldn't work if Jesus goes, you can't give that to me. If I came up to you and said, listen, you bow down and worship me and I'll put you in charge of Pennsylvania. You'll be governor. You'd be like, what? What? First off, I don't want that job. <laughs> Secondly, he doesn't have the power to do that. You're right. I don't. If you bow down and worship me, I'll make sure you're the head of the board. I don't have that authority. I can't do that. I can't even say if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you 30 bucks. I don't have that in my wallet right now. I literally can't give you something. So it's not a real distraction for you. It wouldn't cause you to go, well, maybe I should change course. It's important to understand that it was a real thing. Because it makes it a real distraction possibility. And you will, just as Satan will distract you with food and with hunger, he will distract you with what you desire. If I may be um, open with you guys. Since the time I was a kid, I have always wanted to be the next Billy Graham. Quite frankly, when I was a kid, I really didn't care about people getting saved. I just wanted everybody to know my name. I wanted Sam Brush to be the one. As I got older, I said, all right, let's get people saved. That's a good thing. I still want people to know my name, but let's get people saved. And then, and please do not take an offense to this because it is an amazing thing. God said, hey, Sam, I know you've got a big head. I know you've got pride problems. I know that still as a 20-some-year-old, you would love it if everybody knew your name. I'm going to make you be the pastor of a little small town church with 30 people in it. Who, yeah, they'll all know your name. You won't be famous, 
but maybe just maybe you'll get some people saved. And I tell you what, it's greater than having my name in lights anywhere. I've been known, not worldwide or anything like that, but I got well known with certain groups. And there have been points, even as Ben, I've been the pastor here, where Satan has said, if you do this, your name will be bigger than what it is now. And I've had to go, that's not the point now anymore. The point is getting people saved. If nobody knows my name, it doesn't matter. I'd love to be able to stand up here and tell you that I'd rather be Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher who led him to Christ than be Billy Graham. It's not true. I'd still love to speak to thousands of people, to play guitar and sing in front of thousands of people. I'd love to do it. Maybe one day God will go there. But until then, it's just a distraction that Satan knows he can use against me. Know the areas where you have a desire. Is it wrong to want to be in front of people? No. God made me that way. He made me good in front of people. It's wrong when I use it for my own desires, for my own gain. Know where God, or excuse me, know where your desires lay. Because they are your weak points. They are your weak points. Also know what has been promised to you. One day, will Jesus be the ruler over the entire world? Yes, he will. It wasn't that day. Satan was saying, worship me now, and I'll give you rewards now. God said, follow me and worship me. I'll give you rewards later. They will be later, but they will be more. That applies to you and I. We're not going to rule over everything. That's Jesus' job. And thank God he has to do it. You would not want me to be ruling over you. But he has made promises in your life. And one of the areas Satan will come is attack those promises. And say, I can give it to you right now. All you have to do is follow after me. All you have to do is just give up that Bible. Give up going to church. Give up that stuff. Just follow after me. I'll give you money. I'll give you job status. I'll give you this and that. Just follow after me. I know this is where your heart's desires lay. Satan distracts. I don't have three letters, three words to start with the same letter or something like that. I couldn't come up with one. But understand that God, that Satan does his best to distract and tempt in the areas of food because we are bound by it. If you stop eating food, you will die. That's the way God made us. Food and hunger. Promises, he'll twist them and misuse them. And your own desires. He'll distract you with those. If I may give you another one before we move on to the next part. One that I have the fulfillment of in my life partially. Since the time I was 10, 11 years old, I have always wanted not just to have my name in lights, but I've also wanted to be a husband and I've wanted to be a father. I am not announcing today that Maddie and I are pregnant, so put that out of your minds. Okay? Okay? Just put that away. I figured we'd go there because I could see some of your faces going, is he going to say it? No, not yet. And I don't know if my dad remembers this conversation, but when I, it was when I was the pastor here. I've been the pastor here for six months or so, maybe a year. 
And I was up at my parents' house and it was winter time. We were outside changing a hole in my tire because I had run over something and I didn't have the tools to do it. I knew how, but I didn't have the tools. So I'm up there changing the tire. Well, not changing the tire, patching the tire and putting it back on, right? And I said, Dad, I'm 20. At that time, I would have been like 24. So old, I know. And I was like, Dad, I'm a college graduate. So I'm, I'm not in college anymore. I'm not anywhere near it. The church that I'm in has one young person in it, and I already dated her once. And God said no. I'm afraid I'm never going to get married. And I will never have two of the deepest desires of my heart, to be a husband and to be a father. Because I don't know where a woman's going to come from at this point. And dad, in all his infinite wisdom, goes, just wait. It's not time yet. It's not time yet for you to have those things. And maybe it will never be time. Are you okay with it never being time? And the answer was no, I was not okay with it never being time. Fast forward a year or two, and I was okay with it never being time. And then God said, get married. You see, if I had done what Satan wanted me to do and just drive after my desires, I very well might have married, I very well might have married Maddie. But it wouldn't have been right. And our marriage would have been off on the wrong foot. And that's not a good place to start. But I waited. I didn't have this promise of a wedding to hold on to, but I waited that God had for me what he wanted for me. And I got married. And Lord willing, one day, not today, but Lord willing, one day, I'll be able to stand up here and I'll open the sermon by going, flip with me to Matthew chapter 4. By the way, Maddie's pregnant and I'll just keep preaching. I had a choice to make. I thank God I made the right one then. I've made the wrong one a lot of times. I've been distracted a lot of times. I made the right one then. So let's jump to number two because it's already 1034 and we have a business meeting after this. Number two, the right focus. The right focus. Most of you, if not all of you in here, have heard this passage of scripture before, right? So what does Jesus use as a defense? Scripture. I was glad you all got it because even if you hadn't heard it before today, we did just read it 15 minutes ago. Good recall, everybody. Scripture. He doesn't try to reason with the devil. He doesn't try to make excuses. He doesn't try to stand there and be like, I can take it. I'm just going to take it. I can take this temptation. No, no, no. He goes to Scripture. Immediately and first off. Nothing else. I want to ask a question real quick. Would it have been, uh, let me rephrase this. So back in the beginning of this, right, Satan has him turn, says turn these stones into bread. Is turning stone to bread a sin? I contend the sin was that God didn't want him to do it. And to use his godly power in a way that God the Father had not said you can would have been the sin. Not eating bread using his godly power in a way that was not ordained to be used. Just a side note. This doesn't really have much to do with the sermon today. Just a side note. So, what can we take from, keeping the right, from Jesus on keeping the right focus? First off, no scripture. You don't have to have this whole book memorized. I don't. And I've been a Christian since I was five or six years old. Grew up in a household where God permeated everything that we did, where scripture permeated everything that we did. I don't know this book. Just yesterday I said, isn't Jesus wept in Matthew, and I'm looking all over for it. And Maddie goes, it's in John. What? Sure enough, it's in John. You don't have to know every little last bit of this thing. 
but know parts of it very well. Memorize it. You don't have to have the entire thing memorized. I once knew a pastor, when he did a book study, he would memorize the entire book that they were about to preach out of. I have never done that. I can't tell you I never will, but I never have a plan of doing that. But no parts of it. Dive into it. And what you'll find is, yeah, you might not have every last bit of this thing memorized, but what you'll find is when you know this book and you're spending time with God in this book, when Satan comes to tempt, there just seems to be this prompting and this verse you didn't even know you knew comes to you because you spent time in it. No scripture. Satan does. You'd better as well. At some point here this year, I got a request for this. So at some point here this year, probably when we're finished with James, we're going to look at the different pieces of the armor of God again. And there's one piece that's offensive. It's this. You have to know how to use it. You have to train with it. That means spending time in it. Know it. Secondly, and more abstractly, if you will, you have to know what God's will is, both the specific and general will. That's correct. God has two types of will. His general will for your life and for the world as a whole. That will happen. His general will will come to pass. There's nothing you can do to stop it. His specific will for your life, you may be able to fight for a time. Think of somebody like Jonah. He happened to get swallowed by a big fish and it changed his mind, but he fought it. The specific will for your life, you don't necessarily have to follow. It's way better if you do. But you have to know what it is. I can clue you in to what the general will of God is. That you seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the general will of God in your life. Do those things. Micah 6.8 and then, um, oh, it's in Matthew. Great. See? Can't remember the, 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 the reference. Either way. Do those things. That is the general will of God for your life and for the world. You follow that and it happens. The general will of God is that the world is saved. It will be. Parts of it's going to be burned. People will go to hell. But the general will of God. Let me actually, I've used the wrong term. Excuse me. Erase the past two minutes. The general will of God is laid out clearly in this book. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, and provided the way for salvation. Then, Christ will come back, rapture his church. There will be seven years of tribulation. There will be a thousand years of Christ's reign on earth. Satan will be loosed for a little while. Satan will be bound in the lake of fire for eternity. God will destroy heaven and earth, create a new heaven and a new earth, and we will live with him forever in eternity. That is the general will of God. There's nothing you can do to stop any of that from happening. The specific will of God in your life is that you seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, love your neighbor as yourself, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the specific will of God. There are other minor things in there. It was the specific will of God that I come and be the pastor here. I firmly believe that. It was the specific will of God that I spent two years traveling on rise, which gave me certain skills to be able to do the things that I've done since. 
but you have to know what the specific will is. It was the specific will of God that three years ago, I wasn't married. Do you want to know why that was? I've talked to Maddie about this. Part of it was, if I had been married, I could not have devoted the time I did to this church. Now that I am married, my time is split. I have to give some of it to my wife and some of it to the church. And if and when we have kids, it's split even more. God said, get grounded in the church. Then we'll give you something, maybe. Looking back, it's fairly obvious. In order to defeat distractions, you have to know what the general will of God is. And then you have to know the specific will of God in your life. And you know how you figure that stuff out? You spend time with them in here. It all comes back to it. You can't open to Romans 14.6 and it doesn't say, Sam, in two years you will have a child. It doesn't say that. It says, for because of this you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. That's a sermon in and of itself. We won't go there today. <laughs> I do have my tax appointment Wednesday. It's a sign. There we go. Um, <laughs> you spend time with him and walk in his will. When you keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith, when you keep your eyes fixed on him and you walk in his will, I'm finishing up. Can you go and tell mom? Thank you, love. When you walk in his will, it's way harder to get distracted. Think about it like this. How many of you in here have seen a horse, ridden a horse, know about horses in any way, shape, or form, anything like that, right? They have blinders, don't they? Why do they have blinders? So they don't get distracted and scared and skittish by the things around them. God's asking you to put on blinders. This is your blinder right here. You put it on. And you keep your eyes fixed forward on the author and perfecter of your faith. I think about it with Peter. Poor, poor Peter. The idiot who got out of the boat. At least that's what the other 11 were thinking. Peter was fine until he focused on the waves. And then his faith faltered. In a word, he got distracted. The world around you is violent, it's rough, the waters are high, it's windy. You will have personal things that happen in your life. Maybe are happening right now. Please do not misunderstand me, I'm not denying any of that. What I am saying is, when you keep your eyes fixed on him, when you know this word, when you don't get distracted either by the good things around you or the bad things around you, you'll notice that everything falls back into place the way that it should. And you walk in that faith. And if you want to be walking correctly for this year, follow the example of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we lift you up here this morning as we're closing out service. I pray that you would help us not to get distracted throughout today, tomorrow, this month, this week, this year, so on and so forth. Help us to follow the example laid out in Scripture for how not to get distracted. To know this word, to know your will, Father. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.